my palatial one-bedroom apartment in Chicago is Luis Badillo. Luis, how are you? Hey, how you doing, Bill Nielsen? It's me, Luis Badillo. It's a very academic discussion we have here mm-hmm. on uh, So Many Bits. Uh, so let's get right to it. As a quick reminder, So Many Bits is brought to you in part by the Second Wind Collective. For more quality podcasts like this one, please visit secondwindcollective.com for details. Now, Luis, I understand that you have uh, a certain game you've been playing, but just for the sake of uh, you know, the intro, what have you been playing? Well, Bill Nielsen. Uh, you can just call me Bill. It's yeah, good. I, you know what? <laughs> That's probably better. Well, Bill, uh, long-time listeners will know, I like hunting, I like monsters. So Monster Hunter World came out maybe about a month ago. And I've put about uh, eh, about 45 hours into it at this point. And boy golly, do I love that game. It's gotten rave reviews. And I think it's gotten a new level of acceptance and awareness among like uh, North American game players. This is really exciting for me. Because I've, I I can't say I've been a long time Monster Hunter fan. I jumped into it like during Monster Hunter uh, 4 Ultimate. Which is like kind of like, you know how Capcom will do like Street Fighter and then Street Fighter, you know, Arcade Edition. Uh, the Ultimate version of that was sort of like the, you know, Ultimate Edition of a Street Fighter with all the extra added bits in it. But, um, you know, uh, but since then I've kind of dove back into some old, older Monster Hunters. Um, I've been playing a lot on my iPhone, Monster Hunter Freedom Unite, which is Monster Hunter 2. It was a PSP game originally. Uh, and yeah, seeing how that game played and Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate and Monster Hunter Cross or uh, Generations, and seeing this level of excitement for a Monster Hunter game is pretty cool. Uh, I'm, and I'm finally glad that I get to talk to other people about Monster Hunter at, and I'm not the weird one. Other people are playing it too. I think it's pretty telling. Uh, I've been watching like you know random YouTube videos, mm-hmm. and the two games that I see advertised a lot are God of War mm-hmm. and Monster Hunter World. Yeah, so that's I mean already a game that's been out for a month and they're still pushing it. We so. made it, baby. We finally made it. Uh, yeah, that game is the best Monster Hunter there's ever been. It's the best Monster Hunter game. Some significant quality of life improvements is what I understand. Yeah, that phrase, when talking about the news, the new Monster Hunter quality of life improvements, I think at this point almost sounds overused, but it's absolutely true. There's little bits of in of interface in that game that were just very Baroque, very thick, very uh, just obtuse in a specific way to Monster Hunter. And some of them were like necessary because they were like on handheld systems for a long time, and other them other systems were just like it was just RPG bulk hunky. Uh, a lot of it has been streamlined. I, I know you and I played the demo together, uh, and I still think that it's a. They haven't made the game easy. Uh, I don't think that game is going to ever be like easy full stop what they have done is kind of stripped away a lot of the these extra layers and let people kind of just attack the systems in a really more streamlined way which i know sounds bonkers to a lot of people who are touching that series for the the very first time yeah like my initial impression was there were quite a few complicated menus Mm -hmm. And anecdotally, like, reading about other people playing online and the difficulty around, like, joining into someone else's game to do a cooperative mission makes it sound like it's not very uh, inviting. But, in fact, it sounds like, instead, really, this is a big, big improvement. Yeah, uh, I I will say, though, the the online stuff is, it's kind of bunk. Like, I can understand why they did it the way they did it. Uh, they they kind of don't. I think they want to design this new Monster Hunter as a primarily multiplayer experience. So, which you know you could play Monster Hunter single player, 
and that's how I've been playing it. Uh, but you know, you have to air quote create a, a lobby or a room just to start the game. Um, but you know, but also when you're creating that lobby, you just set it to private, and that's a single player mode. So whatever, Monster Hunter World developers, we get it. You want us to play with other people. Uh, the quality of life improvements uh, come through uh, the mechanics or, or ju just things that were considered minor annoyances in the other games. Uh, for example, like the consumption of items in the middle of the hunt. Uh, you were just kind of locked into an animation while you were doing that. So if you needed to heal, monsters are also very smart about charging you as you heal. Uh, so now it's cool that this game lets you dodge out of the way if you need to do that. Same thing if you're sharpening your weapon again. Uh, oh, and uh, armor sets. Uh, it used to be that you needed to create an entirety of a set to get any sort of bonus out of it. But now, by default, each piece of armor gives you a little bit of a bonus. So instead of having to craft an entire armor set from just one monster you should kind of mix and match now which is a lot better than what it used to be navigating the weapon tree menu now it shows you the tree it shows you if you go down this path you'll be able to upgrade these up into these other paths and, and you can break down a weapon to like get it back to its basic level and then go to another path which is great like you used to have to like do the hunt over again to get those materials and then create a new weapon and it'll even show you for the more advanced versions of a weapon, like, what supplies you need, right? Exactly. It'll tell you what you need. There's this new system that I effing love, uh, the auto-craft system, which is, uh, as you're collecting items out into the field, if you, you can create a short list of items you want to craft automatically as you gather those items. Uh, so, as you're grabbing those... and. Uh, gathering also gathering items too. You need you used to need to bring like pickaxes and fishing rods and like fishing nets, like all and all this stuff was like breakable stuff too. It they would break after so many uses, and now it's just like nah, you just just gather stuff, whatever. Like that's a, a mechanic that's gone now. Uh, it used to be that if you were a a person that used melee weapons or long distance weapons, you would have to create different armor sets for each. Because there are some stats that apply to bladed weapons that don't apply to uh, shooting weapons and vice versa. Now it's just all, you could just get the armor sets and then you can fine tune the weapons themselves for those specific bonuses. Uh, I'm, I'm just doing a laundry list of. <laughs> Again, quality of life improvements. It, it this sort of stuff like used to annoy the hell out of Monster Hunter fans, or it used to be just accepted. It, it didn't even know. It never annoyed me, uh, but because I always like liked the game, I liked that loop of the game of getting a a weapon that I become skillful with, getting a armor set that supplements and, and complements that playstyle. And then learning the 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 the, fu the patterns of the monsters, because that's the real start of the show. Is monsters, uh, and there's some real good ones in this one. Yeah, I, it looks like they are going to have a long tail on this game. Yeah, long tail. Like to cut off, <laughs> <laughs> cut off the tail. It's a long sword. With like DLC for different monsters, it's going to pop up over uh, presumably the next. 6 to 12 months while they're still supplementing the original game's content. Yeah, uh, and Monster Hunter's always been pretty wacky with its DLC. Uh, I think uh, the the main character from... Uh, well, damn, what was that? Uh, PS4 game that came out last year. Aloy. Uh, Aloy. You're talking about like Horizon Zero Dawn? Yeah, you get to, you get to download an Aloy skin, uh, which goes really well with the uh, bow and arrow. Uh, set if I do say so myself. Yeah, people were. I know people were complaining about specifically the Horizon Zero Dawn DLC because like the armor unlock for that was on a very short time frame from when the game originally came out, mm -hmm. and it was like, why is it like that? Why why wouldn't you just leave it available forever? 
because they they'll I, I think they're pretty also silly about how they handle DLC stuff I'm sure it'll come back out again uh, in the meantime I'm looking forward to Ryu and Sakura from Street Fighter appearing in this game that's pretty awesome like, and, and in the DS games they used to like do pretty silly ones too like you get a Link skin as well and uh, have your cat like dress up like Mega Man or Samus, uh, and like get like they would get like a, a Mega Buster too, which was really cute. I think one of the options upcoming for Monster Hunter World is like a pixelated Mega Man costume for your Palico. What? I didn't see that. Oh I'm my god! Mostly sure about that. Mostly sure. Ah, oh god! I love the Palicos in that game. Uh, so. Like, I think my top moments from playing that demo was when you're wading through a river and the Palico busts out a raft and paddles along behind you. Like, that was the best moment by far in the game. <laughs> uh, not when we hunted the monster? Oh. I'm not trying to damn the game with faint praise either. I'm just saying, like, that moment was that much of a tier higher than actually <laughs> fighting the monsters. <laughs> Got those Palicos, uh, now in the hunts, like, matter a lot more. They've really tweaked their AI to be a lot more versatile and supportive. Like, the default skill, or the first skill that every hunter gets for their Palico is, uh, is called the Vigor Wasp Spray, which means that they fly over with a bug, which is basically a healing potion. Uh, and they'll do that anytime you're in trouble. Um, I mean, you can't spam it, obviously, but, like, you know, it happens automatically. As you play the game, too, uh, your Palicos learn new skills. Like, I finally learned, taught my Palico how to write uh, the uh, Jagras, which is like the tiny raptor-like monsters. And it'll, like, mount it like a, like a fucking horse <laughs> and charge it into battle. Um, and I, I finally figured out also um, your Palico can befriend wildcats like wild palicos essentially and they'll set up traps for you in the map so there's like one moment where you can be hunting like a bear off which is like a, a bulldozer like t-rex and once it's knocked over by them they'll like 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 these 20 palicos will appear out of nowhere and like throw like this net over the monster and they'll all be holding it down so you can land a couple free hits in there that's pretty awesome it is the coolest thing and like you can see, like on the little text, they said like we got him, we we got him, hunter, do it, meow. Yeah. Now I kind of want to play it. I kind of want to play the game. It, those those cats are awesome. Um, yeah. So they, as as you play the game more, their their skills like matter a lot more. Like you can. Uh, right now, I have my Palico equipped with like this uh, kind of tiki mask that it could, it's like a tiki mask shield, and um, when I need like a moment to like sharpen or like you know like jam some potions down my gullet, uh, you can activate that. It'll pull out the shield. It won't get hurt, but it'll just like make a lot of noise and distract the monster. Be like, hey monster, get, or meowster, get over here. They use that pun a lot. Well, I'm still not tired of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, again, a little quality of life improvement, but also, they, they've definitely improved our presentation, too. Like, the worlds are beautiful. Uh, the monsters are just incredible to look at. Uh, I think you and I saw that monster, the Great Jaggers, that'll eat other monsters whole, like, unhinge its jaw, and then become, like, a big fat boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, it becomes like a really bulbous kind of dude and roll around you. Um, yeah, that that there's something special about that game. I, I think, I really do think if you ever wanted or create Monster Hunter Curious, like, this is the one to jump onto. All of the Monster Hunters look like crap. Well, I'll keep my eye out. This does seem like Kind of a jumping on point for a lot of new players. Mm -hmm. uh, anything else you want to add about the game before we move on? Um, other than 
I, I can't wait to go back home and play it today. Uh, <laughs> no, like it's 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 kind of an achievement. Uh, I I don't want to shout early game of the year contender, but go watch some YouTube videos of people like explaining their favorite weapons because there's some really pe- passionate people out there that are really articulate about which weapons like correlate to what like games you might like. Uh, that. That might be enough of a of a connection point for you to be like, oh, I might try the dual blades because it reminds me a lot of God of War, or I might just try the sword and shield because it reminds me of Dark Souls. I'll try the switch axe because it reminds me of Bloodborne. You were also mentioning to me before we started that you were playing a, a mobile game. I I am playing a mobile game. Uh, it, it's a little ditty. Uh, I uh, a friend of mine on Twitter uh, shared something that she she writes for a news company and then. Also, like, does, like, tech, uh, like, kind of game reviews type stuff. And then she tweeted out a game called Gerrymander, colon, Rig the Election, which is a, a, dark, a dark topic to talk about, but also it presented in a really cutesy manner. Um, it's a puzzle game. So, essentially, uh, you pick a red team or a blue team, guess which one needs which... Uh, but every game, every map that you load, you're going to be given like a grid uh, of, of of a population, and this grid might be divided up by like lakes or like, mountains or just like have like certain peninsulas to them. But no matter what, your your the population of people colored your team's color. I picked blue. I'm wearing blue right now. I like the color blue a lot. Uh, so for me, the blue team was all, the blue population was always outnumbered by the red population, in terms of grid, like people in the grids. So then it was your job as someone who was re, uh, redistricting to make sure that there were, there would be more blue districts than red districts, and that's how you progress through the game. Is the um, uh, not out. Uh, procedurally generate maps every time and it's your job to like kind of like group up like group up like all these blue people make sure they're a majority in the district and then kind of rodeo rodeo in some uh, red people so the blue people are still like in the majority but you're just kind of shaving away the majority of the uh, of the other team wow that's really dark it's (laughs) it's really dark but it's also like presented like in this really cutesy pixel art uh, manner like when you when you create a district uh, the the people who are the majority in that district like start animating like a little like jumpy happy dance and then the people that are in the minority like kind of like do like a mopey sad face (laughs) and then every time you you beat a map uh, like a representative from the other team will pop up in your screen and be like hey it was our job to rig the election uh, the music in the game is all like kind of John Philip Sousa e like marching like band American music. Uh, I I find it I find if you're listening to like political podcasts and playing this game, you get like a real a, a real dark understanding of how this country works sometimes. Yeah, I mean gerrymandering. I'm not gonna say it's like. You need to be an intellectual to understand it, but it might not. I mean, at least to me, it's not always like, well, wait, how do you, how do you draw it so it works like that? And like to see such a like a, a demonstration of how it can be done. It it actually is like a really powerful tool in teaching. Like, oh, this is actually how they're doing it. That they're they're gathering. They're also if if you want like a good political podcast to listen to while this, I really recommend the five thirty eight gerrymandering series they have like uh, a, a series of five podcasts that go state by they they pick specific cases in certain states like north carolina alabama and just talk about gerrymandering gerrymandering in those states but they use the phrases uh cracking and packing a lot which you end up using in the game a lot you end up for your political party you end up wanting to pack uh as many people from your party into specific areas 
that you need to create districts. And for, for the other party, you need to kind of crack their populations. So the districts that they're in aren't, don't have the numbers that they would have if they were just like one unit. Uh, which is, I'm, I'm making some hand motions right now, which are, is not playing on the podcast, <laughs> uh, but... Well, I understand, but... Yeah, uh, but it, I, I seriously suggest, like, playing this game a little bit and listen to, like, the gerrymandering podcast, because there's... I don't play a lot of games on the iPhone often that teach me about, you know, weird political processes, but this is one of them. And it's a completely free, free game, too. There's some in-app purchases... Uh, I'm actually kind of unhappy about how the game lets you progress from map to map because it just doesn't let you beat a level and then move on. Like, you need to, like, gather enough points, which is measured in campaign dollars, uh, to progress. And if you don't have enough, you kind of have to replay some maps. Uh, and I hate that Yeah, when we, that comes up. Yeah, and, you know, there's, there's ways... There are ways to get uh, campaign donors, air quotes, which is really just watching a 30-second ad in the, the game. Or you can make your own campaign contribution, which is really code for in-app purchase. Uh, which is, it's kind of lame, but it's a free game. It's really fun. It's, it's, it's uh, pretty well-made and cutely designed, so I, it's hard to not recommend. Well, good, good. Maybe I'll check that out on a train ride one of these days. It's a perfect transit ride game. Uh, just kind of pass the time with that. Well, hey, hey, Bill. Yeah. Have you been playing anything? No. Okay. Well, good uh, talk. Yeah. So we're gonna move <laughs> on to the Bill's Magic Minute. No, I've been playing. Uh, playing a few things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a little awkward because I've been playing a lot of. Danganronpa V3 Killing Harmony. In fact, I have finished that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been talking about it a bit on recent episodes, and it's a good game. It's just, at this point, it's a, it's a visual novel, pretty much. It's like a mystery with, you know, Phoenix Wright elements in it where you have to, like, spot logical contradictions. And going in-depth on the game at this point seems unfun for people who might be looking to play it so i'll say this much if you like mystery games if you like games that are similar but a little distinct from phoenix wright then you should definitely play danganronpa v3 you should consider playing danganronpa 1 and 2 beforehand but you don't have to i would i would say that there is actually enough going on here that doesn't require context that you should be fine just jumping in with v3 which you might appreciate because the first two were made for like the PSP. Mm-hmm. And, you know, V3 isn't some graphical powerhouse or anything, but there are some improvements. It, it sounds a little nicer. It looks a little nicer. All right. I So th- this is like a very narrative-driven game. Is there any alternative to play these, say like a, how in, pardon, like 999 put out some iPhone games? Is there is there... What are the avenues for me to play Danganronpa? Well, you can play on Steam, or you can play on PS4. They did release a bundle of the first two games for the PS4, and then V3 was also released for PS4. Okay. I think the bundle of 1 and 2 is only like 30 bucks too. Oh, neat. So, I mean, for that price, I would recommend it. Yeah, uh, I, I, think those ga- I think those games, uh, if... That weird combination of Phoenix Wright and almost kind of a battle royale uh, vibe to it. Yeah, that's definitely there. Yeah, I, I, I love that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by just kind of its dark undertones, or I guess overtones, when you really think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do wish that there's always... Some of what I would just generally refer to as anime bullshit in there. Yeah, all right. Uh, and some of that's just like the way it's plotted, and some of it's just like this uh, fan service like that I don't really need or appreciate being in there. I want, when you say fan service, do you mean do you mean like fan service in the sense of like oh we're referencing these things that only fans know about, or 
isn't what I really think it means. Well, there's a scene in Danganronpa 2 where it's like they're at the beach and it's like every oh, okay. female cast member walking into the room in their bikinis and like uh, a still image of them like panning across their body and it's like, oh my god. That's some real anime. Okay, that is anime bullshit. Also like with many Japanese properties, little weird transphobia going on or... Oh, you at, don't say. At the very least, insensitivity to the idea of uh, transgender or gender fluidity. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's not great. Yeah, they got a ways to go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bet on that. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen. I'm sure there's Japanese media or anime out there that's like better about it, but I think when you're playing video games, you're kind of getting like the basis of the base anime tropes. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Now, uh, can I allude to the ending of V3? Please do. Okay, so for the next two minutes, starting now, skip ahead if you don't want to hear about, in very broad terms, the ending of Danganronpa V3. So if you have played like Undertale, or you've played Nier, there's a certain kind of ending that comes up in those games. Yes. And V3 does some interesting stuff to subvert that, and I appreciated it. I think we can now give a rest to the overall theme for games of actually good endings are good. We can probably set that down for a little while and find other ways to, to generate new uh, like narratives out of video games besides that. I, I, I'm, I, that does intrigue me. That um, I feel like you're, you're alluding to when you invoke Undertale and near there's certain uh this there's it does introduce this aspect of multiple replays is that something in dr Europa that encourages no it, it's uh it's more like the idea of like hope is the answer okay. hope is the greatest weapon there is yeah okay <laughs> yeah i guess that is a common thread isn't it uh though i do think uh, near did it I mean, to, to yeah. Undertale. Yes, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think they do a good job in V3 of, like, kind of giving it a little twist, mm-hmm. taking it a different direction. And overall, the ending is strong. But I, I feel like now it's like, okay, okay, I think we've kind of so hit what, bedrock on that. Okay, so you're, you're, you're asking for a moratorium on, uh, on dark worlds where the only answer is feel good about it. Yes. Yeah. Hey, hey, maybe maybe the power of friendship will get us through. Find a way to persevere. Because yeah. giving up is even worse. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm getting some near flashbacks right now. Well, I feel a little bad just talking about Danganronpa so vaguely. So I did want to mention briefly that I did start playing Celeste, which is... Oh! I hear that's great. It seems pretty great so far. I just, just started like like a half hour in. And it's made by the same group who did Towerfall and Towerfall Ascension. Mm-hmm. Of oh, Ouya's Towerfall. Yes, the, the greatest game of the Ouya generation, yeah. Towerfall. And now they're making this platformer. It's a, one of those like really, really difficult platformers, like how Super Meat Boy or 99 Spikes is really challenging. Mm. But the, you know they, they do the good things that those games do as well, where they put a very small death penalty in there where it's just like if you fall and it's just like one second and you're back at the start of the screen and just get to go for it once again i actually love that that's not i loved it when super meat boy did it and uh, i wish more games did that the only drawback i've seen so far is that unlike in like so in meat boy and then in other games like mega man x and like those games when you do a wall jump it's like a little hop and it like causes you to ascend up the wall basically mm-hmm. in Celeste, when you wall jump, you kick off in, like, the opposite direction of the wall with a decent amount of, like, speed and air time, and you can't really get back to where even you were on the wall before you jumped. Like, you'll end up probably lower on the wall. Okay. And it's just really disorienting for me because I have this ingrained memory of, like, what a wall jump will do, and then it doesn't do that. Okay. So, is there, like, more horizontal gain, but... You're not you're not hopping upwards. You're kind of just because you are you are ascending, but because you're kicking so far away from the wall to like angle back around mm-hmm. and like move the character in air. By the time you get back, you'll have ended up lower on the wall than where you started. 
No, okay. And so that that's just disorienting a little bit. For people who have that very specific issue of having already played Sorry. Meat Boy. Grinding in there. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, how are you playing it? I'm playing it on my Switch in the handheld mode. I have had a small issue also where it's not always precise about if you want to hold up going up, it'll sometimes like go up and left or up and right. Are you using the analog stick or the V pad? I'm using the analog. I actually just ordered one of those like 8-bit dough USB controllers. I'm going to give that a try instead. Okay. Wait, one that works with the uh, Switch? Yes. Okay. I, I hear those 8-bit dough, there's some Bluetooth or wireless ones that have a way better D-pad than the Pro Controller. That's or, what I've heard. Or, or the Joy-Cons. I think the D-pad on the Joy-Cons, D-pad on the Joy Controllers are kind of not where I want them to be. I haven't even tried it. Like, I, I, if you try, I have Super Street Fighter on the Switch. Uh, I, I I hate playing it. I really really do hate playing it because like, on if I if I have the Joy Cons, I'm like they're not they're not true D pads. They're just buttons. So you're which for some people some people do like that. Uh, there are fight pads that have just like a four way button like interface. Uh, I don't like that. The D-pad on the Pro Controller is so stiff, uh, like pulling, a, like trying to pull off a Hadouken is is like a painful experience. That's not good. And let alone like full circle characters like Zangief or like E Honda, where you you gotta like you know do the whole circle thing. Um, so okay, but you're it seems to be okay on the Joy Cons. Yeah, yeah, it's it's workable. I mean, I'm gonna probably play it a bit in transit mm -hmm. so I mean I'll have to make do <laughs> okay uh, good I, I've been thinking about getting that game and you're, you're selling me on it so likey good deal good deal mm -hmm. well that's what I've been playing Luis that's what I've been playing well in that case before we move on to our choose your fighter segment okay it is time for Bill's magic minute I'm ready you are ready yeah I know how this goes, but it's always somebody's first time listening. What's the rules to this segment, Bill? Well, the rules are that because I love the game Magic the Gathering so much, I like to talk about it, but to avoid spreading it all over the podcast, I give myself one minute to talk without any context, without any like explanations about how I'm feeling about Magic these days, and then we just get it all out of my system, and then we move on with the rest of the fun video game talk. Yeah, and for people that actually do like magic, go follow Bill on Twitter. He's got some magic talk on there. I do. I do talk about magic on there yeah. as well. So some, so what I assume is juicy magic talk. <laughs> I try. I try. All right. I'm ready when you are. I'm ready. All right. Go. Well, we figured out why Jace the Mind Sculptor was unbanned recently when they recently announced a whole set of cards for Jace exclusively. That goes with Masters 25, which is going to be out in a few months where Jace the Mind Sculptor has already been revealed as a card that will be in that set. It seems like Wizards wants Jace to be like the flagship character of the, the franchise, of the lore, and I don't know if you could pick a more boring generic fantasy archetype than the the white guy who's like a pluckish rogue who's got a heart of gold. Feels like that's like the absolute safest choice they could have made. And for a franchise like Magic, they could have gone harder and bolder to make someone new that could engage new people. All right, well, I only needed 55 seconds. Yeah, you got that in I'm really impressed. Uh, I didn't get any of that. That's the Magic Minute, no context. Yeah. I, I feel like if people if you didn't like pre like pre explain that, I would have assumed you were having a stroke. Well, if you believe I am having a stroke, then we should then I should bring out a magic deck. Uh, yes, that was exactly where my head was going. <laughs> uh, okay. Nothing cures uh, brain blockages like magic cards. Uh, I actually do have a hold on. Luis has a follow-up magic question. Okay. Uh, so, you are extending the magic minute of your own will. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, because I actually am curious about this. Has 
when you say Wizards, I'm assuming Wizards of the Coast. Yes. The company that runs Magic. Okay. Uh, have they ever tried to do mascot characters or marquee characters before? They have. Back in the 90s, they had this long-running story that went through a bunch of different sets over like five years or so mm-hmm. for this group called the Weatherlight Crew. And it was led up by this guy, Gerard, who kind of looked like Riker if he was a pirate. Okay. Um, have, and, and throughout this time, it sounds like one of your main gripes with um, the new guy. Um, Jace? Jace, yes. Jace Bellerin. Is that he's just kind of a bland, roguish type. Uh, but you, but I'm interested in this. Are there any characters that would like fit? Like, I'm I'm assuming there's a magic lore that I have no idea, like no context for, or no understanding of. But would you say there are more interesting characters in there that might better fit the bill? Because it sounds like also like diversity seems to be a, a gripe here as well, uh, like in presentation, like. Is there is there anything in the magic world or fiction that would make you say, yeah, that sounds about right? No, or at least not that I'm aware of, unfortunately. Okay. I mean, there, there are uh, prominent women in, like, the story and the cards and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there has been a concerted effort on the designer's part to, like, place uh, people of different races, uh, genders, and uh, sexualities in, like, more prominent positions, but when they're still, like, leading the charge with, like, Jace. At least that's my impression. Yeah. It's like, yeah, well, you know. I feel like Marvel comics, I don't know how much you're into the superhero books. I'm, I'm aware of, like, they're, they're trying, like, yeah. I would say a seismic shift. I'm actually really impressed. Yeah, like, there was a while, like, you know, Thor was a lady. And, and it wasn't Lady Thor, it was just Thor's a, a lady now. And then there was Iron Man's successor, uh, Lady Heart, which was like a, a young black woman in her teens, uh, who was essentially the next Iron Man. Iron Heart was her name, and it, I guess it sounded cooler. Uh, so yeah, sounds sounds like <laughs> hey hey wizards, let's check out check out what Marvel's doing. The only people complaining there are idiots. So yeah, yeah. I mean, those idiots aren't even like. They're not even putting up the veneer of like, oh, it's ethics and game journalism. It's now it's just like, no, we just don't like people of other colors. I've been thinking about this too with like the Doctor Who. Uh, if if you're not aware of Doctor Who, it's like you know, there's different actors that will take up the mantle, and up to this point, it's all been men, and now they're getting their first lady, the Doctor, and a lot of people lost their crap over it. Uh, even though there hasn't been a single episode out yet. Uh, she was in one episode, and the only line she had was the phrase, fantastic. I see. Okay. And that seems to rub people the wrong way. Huh. So, <sighs> hey, nerds are dumb sometimes. Don't be a dumb nerd, guys. Seriously, yeah. Be better. But for the moment... I'm a dumb nerd, and I can say it's bad. Yeah, I, I'm a dumb nerd, too. Uh, but I try. Hey, we got another segment. We do, yes. Uh, we're going to be moving on to Choose Your Fighter. Uh, Luis, I've been pumping some iron. I've brought with me one article who's not directly in the game, or in this case, just like kind of a general thought to express and base that we have the same. Yeah! We're going to go back and forth until only one of us is left standing. Yes, yes yeah, that, that how, is how it's gone. We go through guests on the show at an alarming rate. Yeah, uh, I. I, I haven't. It's, it's weird that we tied every time, too. So it really is. Yeah, you, you think that one of these times, like by sheer luck. Yeah, one, one of us would have. One of us would have ended the other. Really? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm ready this time for you, Bill. What do you got for me? All right. Well, I was just talking about Danganronpa V3 a little earlier, and with that, I think that's at the very least the last game intended. Developed for the PlayStation Vita that I'm going to play ever. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, at this point, I might use it still to, like, play some PS1 classics. But really, there are no 
further games coming out for the Vita, or if there are, they're very few and far between. And even if they do come out for the Vita, now they're like starting to come out for like also the Switch and like PS4 and stuff. So usually the Vita is just going to be like an inferior version compared to like the Switch. Like uh, there was a Yeast 8, which kind of looked interesting, got some good reviews. Yeah, Yeast. Oh, yeah, YS. Yes. Yeah, Yeast, I think it is that's what it's called. But it's coming out for the PS... It's already out on the PS4, and it's coming out for the Switch. So, like, at that point, why play it on the Vita? Hmm. Uh, okay, so that's... I feel like that uh, that sort of intersects a little bit with my topic, too. I, I think so. I mean, it just... It made me think about, like, what justifies the purchase of a system. Like, what are you looking for in the game library? And is it important for a system to have a good game library? Um, the obvious answer is like, yeah, of course. It, uh, I buying a system is that's not a. It's not an easy thing. You have to go out of your way to buy a system, right? It's not like you know something that's ubiquitous, like movies or books or like something you. It, it's a it's a conscious choice you have to make, like for a platform. Like maybe people are seeing it now with like choosing between like Netflix and Hulu. Or Amazon Prime because they're, they each platform offers different content, uh, and that's that's the most recent analog you can do to this age-old gamer question of like which console do I do I buy this time, or do I go out of my way to buy something that seems appealing, like um, like buying the Switch. Like for me, it was I might have not bought the Switch. I think there are a lot of people in like financial positions that really have to consider when and why they're going to purchase a system. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, the Switch was justified by The Legend of Zelda. And then just kind of a trust of like, yeah, and other stuff will come out for it, like Splatoon and Mario and all that. Um, but and, and really, I think I just got lucky because there's like all these little great indie titles coming out for it. Uh, I kind of want to rebuy a Darkest Dungeon uh, Celeste, that year is pretty fantastic. Um, you, we're we're getting it, we're getting it good there, uh, but you know when you can also do bad. You could be someone who decided to buy a uh, Sega Saturn in the nineties, which you know maybe not a huge library, maybe not a great system, maybe not. It depends. Like, so that's kind of what I'm getting at is if you bought like a Saturn. And you really loved, like, I don't know, Virtual Fighter 2. And then you really loved uh, Panzer Dragoon. And then you really loved, like, Panzer Dragoon Saga. You probably play those three games. Like, if you play those games, like, 30 hours each. And how many more games were you going to play in that same amount of time if you had gotten the PlayStation? Like, yes, there were more games you could have played on the PlayStation, but you probably didn't have the opportunity to play all those more games. You like, right. You had a greater selection, but not greater uh, time to spend. Yeah. I, okay, I do see what you mean, because uh, this is the first time in my life where I've ha- had like two major consoles in my house. Uh, this, I have the Switch and my PS4. And uh, now that I have that PS4, like, I'm, like, you know, I've largely been ignoring my Switch. Uh and also, I've been I've over the last month or two, I was uh, catching up on a lot of games that I think I should have been playing, like Bloodborne. Uh, kind of stepped replaying Dark Souls three. Uh, I played Wolfenstein. I played uh, Persona five. I played, and I'm currently still playing Monster Hunter World. Uh, Near Autonoma. Did I say that already? Yeah. But man, that has a fantastic library. Unfortunately, the Switch isn't quite there yet. Right, and but and then with the Switch though, like what made people buy it? I think what partly drove the early success of the Switch was Breath of the Wild, one game. Just yeah, like, just this one game. And, and and there is there is something to be said about quality too, because I I got lucky. My PS4 came to me; it practically fell on my lap. Uh, that was the the Xbox. That this was the <laughs> Xbox that. Uh, Thank you, at Wario64. I love you. Um, at Wario64 tweeted out, uh, Xbox price error. I got an Xbox one for free of Forza 3 Horizon. 
And I was like, this doesn't play the Bloodborns, so I sold it and bought a PS4 practically for free. Uh, but no matter what, that uh, the experience that I, I had the most fun with last year in video games was Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Uh, no other game has come close to how much I enjoyed that game. Uh, and it's, 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 it's crazy to me that I spent so much more time on my PS4, but still... Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild was like above me on my favorite thing that I played. So I think it, 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 was, it is worth it to me to own both systems. Because I'm finding quality experiences in both. PS4, I'm getting more quantity of it. But I'm still having a good time. And the Switch obviously has like its, its, its own unique library. And I think you can make that an analogy to a whole bunch of other systems too. Like I, I don't intend this as any kind of gatekeeping, but if you're more casual in your gaming, then you should probably just look at the PlayStation because there's more stuff there. If you're not sure what you're looking for, yeah. there's a bigger, a wider breadth of options on that system. But if you like kind of know what you want and you're like, I really want to play Gears of War 4. That's the game I want to play. Then get that Xbox. It's not like you're going to... Yeah. yeah. I, I also think, I think the, biggest, the best advice you can ever give to people deciding which consoles they want to get is also, like, check out where your friends are playing. That's because, important, yeah. Because multiplayer is, like, a big deal now. Uh, so, like, I have a PC. I have a lot of friends on the PC. But a lot of my friends own PS4s. So I'm gonna, I think I'm going to get a PS4 because I want to play with them. You know, you can't do cross-platform play yet. Um, some exceptions, like PS4, I think, lets you play with PC players on uh, for a Rocket League. Yes. Yeah, and I think the Switch also taps into that. Not entirely yes. sure. But uh, I should get that package Rocket League. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's going to be some exceptions there. Um, yeah, uh, but otherwise, maybe, like, if you look back in the day, like, uh, the GameCube, uh, PlayStation 2, Xbox uh, era. Those were the same time, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you're... you're each system brought you like a different experience. Uh, if you're casual or maybe just get barely getting into this stuff, you know, maybe you get whatever's the most ubiquitous. Like the PlayStation 2 just had the most stuff to it. Right. But the Xbox also was like really the place to go to if you wanted to play something like Halo. Like, which you couldn't get it. Halo was like a big deal. You couldn't play that anywhere else. Or, you know, you want, like, these niche titles, like um, Phantom Dust or... or um, KOTOR. Or KOTOR, uh, Jade Empire. Uh, that was Xbox exclusive, right? I'm pretty sure it was. Yes, yeah, that was uh, for, only for... Yeah. Same, same thing with the GameCube, where it was, like, maybe friendlier titles there, but you'll also get some, like, really just unique experiences, like Wind Waker or Eternal Darkness, Mario Kart. I mean, heck, even... For not family-friendly games, Resident Evil 4 debuted on the GameCube. Resident Evil 4 was on the GameCube before anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, so I, it, it's really it's really hard to tell people like what to buy because I think that that choice that conscious choice of console, like it's it's not like picking it's not like telling someone to pick Hulu over Amazon because Hulu does this better thing than the other thing. Well, no, let me retract that. I, that's actually absolutely true. Uh, Hulu is, like, better at, like, running TV shows while, let's say, something like Netflix is better at TV shows that have already passed. Um, understanding what you want out of a system is, is, I think, key to, like, what makes that system worthwhile. I don't, I don't really think there's any system that, like, is so complete crap that I wouldn't tell anyone to buy it if they there was something on there that they really wanted to play. Like, for me, I mean, the Vita was a punchline and has been a punchline basically since it came out. Yeah, it's the butt of a lot of jokes. But I wanted to play Persona 4 Golden, and then I wanted to play, like, some of the visual novel stuff on there, like the 999 series and the Danganronpa series, and so I did. And you know what? I hear Spelunky pretty good on there. Yeah, yeah. Lots of people have good things to say about Spelunky. Uh, the the Vita, despite its its like lack of games, or like newer games, and I I don't think they're coming out with anything anymore, are they? 
I think uh, technically a few more games are going to come out like as like basically cross by with PS4. Yeah. Uh, what I liked about the Vita was it it became a home for portable indie titles. Uh, some that again are just kind of you know not mainstream, but you should really take your time to play them and. You know, if you're if you're on a bus ride and you want to play Undertale, the Vita is kind of the place to do it. Uh, it it's it's it, it, it you're holding some good hardware in your hands there. Uh, so I it, I think it it really sucks that it kind of didn't find that particular audience until like later in its life when it really didn't matter anymore. Right. It was basically abandoned by Sony. Mm-hmm. It got this second life as something entirely unplanned, and now it's gotten its lunch eaten by Nintendo and the Switch. Yeah. Uh, boy, that Switch came out at a bad time for the PS Vita, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, I've, always, I've always liked the idea of a portable indie system. Like, I would love the idea of, like, a Steam Boy. Man, I would love to play FTL on the go. I mean, FTL and Spelunky, it's, it's weird, like how those games kind of spread by word of mouth through podcasts, through Twitter, stuff like that. Oh. And like that's kind of the, the contemporary way that we find these niche titles. Uh, I, guess, I, guess, I guess we should talk about the, to- the topic that I want to talk about. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. Uh, I, I really wanted to discuss with you the nature of niche games. You know, what makes a niche game? What uh, the, the word niche meaning kind of like opposite of mainstream, but, you know, so, somehow still able to find like a passionate audience. Mm-hmm. And, and you're absolutely right. Games like FTL, games like Spelunky, you know, you, you get those uh, through, through word of mouth. Yeah, like it's weird. It's just like they bubble up and you hear about them one place, then you might hear about them another place. And suddenly it's like on the front page of Steam. And it's like, where did it come from? And yeah. Like, like it's, Stardew Valley was that, was absolutely that, uh, which is weird because that is sort of a branching off of another niche title, Harvest Moon. Uh, I guess uh, the developer has gone on and created another series called Story of Seasons, uh, which, again, complicated history to farming simulators, (laughs) to anime-esque farming simulators. But yeah, like a lot of people were into the Harvest Moon series when they first when it first came out on like Super Nintendo or the PC. Um, and it's totally changed yeah. the way we find niche titles from exactly. when we were kids. Like you were telling me about some of the SNES titles that you uh, were into. Like how did you find those? Um, I it was all through like word of mouth through other people that like went to like my high school. What so. I didn't grow up in the SNES days. Like, this is, like, when... I'm talking, like, early 2000s when people would, like, talk about emulators. Oh, well, I mean, we don't, you know, endorse emulators, but if you you happen to... You know, I was a dumb high school kid. But, you know, sometimes you you plug in that flash drive in your computer and you get everything. And even even back then, it wasn't, like, a huge ordeal. It was only, like, you know... it was less than a gigabyte for every game ever made for the SNES. Exactly. You could fit most of that stuff on a burned CD. Uh, by the way, kids, uh, CDs are these circular uh, types of media uh, before USB drives or, uh, you know, you could just email everything to everybody. Kind of off topic, but I was reminiscing last week about how I watched, like, the first 90 episodes of Naruto from this, like, spindle of CDs. <laughs> There, there is every, every picture of me like in the two thousands was like probably by my computer, and also I had like three spindles of CDs, all of them were like burnt crap on there. Like that's how I watched Bleach. That's there was like I had a CD for just like the like like ska music that I was listening <laughs> to in the nineties uh, or in the late early two thousands. Uh, yeah, like you, this was like. This is the uh, era where, like, piracy was, like, rampant. Uh, now it's, like, a bit more ubiquitous, but also, like, people are cooler about it now. Uh, but it was through that, like, me and my friends, like, sharing these CDs, and they realized, like, hey, 
you try this one game, uh, Uncharted Waters? Uncharted Waters, there's a niche game. Ah, that game is so good. Ugh. But where do you think, like, Patient Zero of these niche games is? Like, how does that happen? Who's the first person who finds it and, like, spreads that good word? I think, well, oof, that's such a tough question. That, I think we're, like, talking about, like, just the nature of information being spread when we're talking about, like, Patient Zero of unpopular thing that might eventually become popular like for me like i knew i found out about uncharted waters because i did have that one friend that like played it for eight hours that gave it a chance i became like a real big uh zealot for uh, uh, super gunstar heroes or gunstar superheroes on the gba because i saw it at an fye that was shutting down and I was like, oh, well, this is 10 bucks. It has, like, cool box art. I checked on my iPhone, and yes, it has a decent review on Game Informer. Let's give it a shot. And I love that game. Uh, so I I think the patient zeros of these are the people with that either have too much time or are just a little brave. Just brave enough to, like, give something a chance. Like, I don't know. You, you must have some titles like these that you're just super passionate about. But the rest of the world is like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Uh, yeah, probably. I I feel like now everything I play is so, like, rigorously analyzed beforehand. It's pretty rare for me to, like, break out and try some new stuff. I mean, a little bit recently, I've been kind of going outside my comfort zone. Like, actually, last week on my stream, I just, like, played some demos for games I backed on Kickstarter. Okay. And just, like... I when I backed them, obviously there was very little <laughs> information there. There were demos, but I didn't even play the demos before I backed it. I was like, yeah, this, this looks cool," mm-hmm. and it was kind of interesting going in cold and figuring out like what I liked about these games, what I didn't like about these games. I I feel like back in the day, uh, you either had to rely on word of mouth, or you know, or like just dive into something that you were unfamiliar with and hope you found something good like that was like the day that was a day those were the days of uh of rental stores yeah like you know you go into a blockbuster you see the box art for a game and it's like oh that looks kind of cool let's give that a shot uh i played a lot of willow for the nes that way (laughs) which is like kind of a bad game but it's got something to it man there's something it is a good legend of zelda like uh, except for the part where the last boss is actually impossible unless you know, like, an exploit for the game. I mean, yeah, like, stuff like that is so cool to me. People just, like, discovering those games on their own. I, I don't... It's pretty... For me, at least, it's pretty uncommon to have gone through that experience. I, I think the way to do it now, because uh, now we'll... You're right, like, everything is curated. There's so many games out there, and there's so many repositories for information for it. Uh, you, it's hard to not find something that is already top in depth about. But I think with platforms like Steam or even on the iPhone, like sometimes I'll just buy a game and hope for the best. Um, I uh, a couple months ago I bought a game that was developed by like a Middle Eastern development company, and it was. A, a survival roguelike in which you played like a refugee like making his way from like like a de- like a desert to like to his family in Europe and it, it was also like alternate history too so there was like kind of like a post-apocalyptic vibe to it uh, but playing as you know an Arabic man trekking through a desert making sure he had enough water and also wood for fire or or like you know just basic weaponry to like fight off bandits that was a real interesting thing and i bought that for 99 cents Hmm. and i think you could do the same with steam as well you could just find something like if you have if you know i'm not going to say everyone can spend as much money as they can but if you got like a couple extra bucks and a couple hours of free time like 
if something feels good to you, like if if you just got an inkling of a feeling, give it a shot. The worst that can happen is like you're out five bucks and you can say, oh wow, I really play play this piece of crap. I, I I think I'm just a little selfish about it. Like if I'm if I was gonna be taking that risk, I would want to be like in some kind of tastemaker position where I'm like either writing reviews or I had some kind of following where I'd be like, oh, this game looks good. You should try it out. It just for the sake of my own discovery, it's not enough. I think I'll also have to like agree with you. If you're just trying to play games for your own enjoyment, uh, you know, your your money is is worth something. You know, you, you could you could spend that on a quality product, or you can go ahead and you know, buy, I don't know, buy a gallon of milk. Like you can buy you can buy food, you can buy gas. Uh, so again, not. I, it, I, I don't want to say the era of niche games is dead because I think for like discoverable games are dead but I do think there are quality games out there um, they're just waiting to be discovered uh, I think I'm personally willing to like put if, if the if the cost of entry is low enough I like I'll do it like renting a video game at my old video store when I was growing up that was like a buck a night uh, so it was not. I, I could just scrounge up some money and give it to my parents and then they'd get the game for me. So, like, that was always enough for, like, me to try something, you know? Uh, so, who knows? Maybe, maybe there will be a system that leverages things like Steam or the iOS store and just that just gives you an opportunity to try something, you know? Because I do think, I do love that experience of, like, just discovering something completely uh, unearthed. Well, Luis, I, I think that's a good breaking off point for the discussion. Yeah. I think we waxed philosophically about uh, discovering video games, taste making, like what makes you want to look at a different game. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just getting in the uh, re- reports here from the judges. It's <sighs> got a fax. And they're saying this was a draw. Are, are we all close circuit TV? I don't, 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 don't look directly up into your left, okay? okay. Just, that, that's not, it's All very right. off-putting if you do that. Alright, judges. I didn't know this was judged. Well, would have brought a knife. <laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> um, yeah, another draw. Damn it. Next uh, time. Next time you will slay me, or I will slay you. One of those two things will occur. I'll get you next time, Nielsen. I'll get you next time. Are you Dr. Claw? Are you actually a person like one gauntlet on a chair with a cat? Listen, I didn't want to paint a picture with, for the audience, but the truth be told, I don't actually have a face. I've been, <laughs> I've been facing away from you this entire time, Bill. Now that I think about it, when you take the letters of your name, Luis F- Elias Video, then uh, that turns, if you rearrange them all, it's like okay. faceless one. Yeah, that's exactly what it means. But you have to translate it from Spanish, too, so... Ah, yeah, one without a face, it's also the proper translation. Listen, I'm not here to correct anyone's grammar. Okay, well, thank you, thank you. In, in the meantime, Luis, mm-hmm. thank you so much for coming on. If you want people to find you electronically or in person, where can they find you? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on the internet. Uh, Agent underscore Eli, I, I retweet a lot. Uh, I, I also have my uh, medium blog attached to that so when I uh, so you can catch me not writing on there <laughs> uh, I'll occasionally write about like iPhone games and stuff uh, when it fancies me uh, so uh, not exactly a huge following not a huge tastemaker position but hey maybe you'll uh, hear me talk about a game I, uh, I discovered I should write about that refugee game I think about it a lot you should. Yeah, it sounds cool. It's, it's I've never heard of it before. It is. It, it's called Home Away. Uh, again, they, English is not their first language, uh, but it's 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 something different. It's really unique. Right. <sighs> go go. Yeah. So uh, agent underscore Eli on the Twitter dot com, and then uh, my Medium blog will be connected there. As for us, we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail dot com. Like us on Facebook, we're So Many Bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr, at So Many Bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from Spreaker, from SoundCloud, from YouTube. 
we play games. Twitch.tv slash so many bits. Wednesday nights usually for Magic the Gathering Online. Thursday nights for a potpourri of different games. Recent games I've played on there are uh, like Slay the Spire, this cool game in early access on Steam. Uh, Cuphead, Super Mario Odyssey, stuff, fun stuff. And as for the rest, fun stuff. <laughs> please check the rest of the Second Wind Collective for other quality podcasts. Support independent art. The spirit of Dell compels you. 